Blog Talk Radio. You are listening to the Run to Daylight Football Funcast with your host, Todd Burroughs. Daylight one week season week one podcast. I'm your host Todd Burrows. You can find me on Twitter at Todd from PA. That's Todd with one D. And I'll be joined in a second by Mark Garcia at Hilo FF, uh, former fighter pilot, current stud, um, game theory marketplace course. Uh, you gotta you gotta check out uh, Hilo's course on the site, and we are ready to go. So there's been some changes this year uh, on the site. Every year it gets better, and this podcast is going to evolve as well. Last year it was kind of the grid podcast. We'd review the grid. You guys should know the grid backwards and forwards, and I will allude to what JM did every week, and Mark and I will talk about it, but. This is going to be a podcast where we take you through our process and where we started and where we got to. So uh, what we're going to do every week is we're still going to go position by position. I, I still like that format the best. And then we'll, but what we'll do is we'll start with who we had in our bottom up build. And then we will talk about how our lineups and how our thought processes evolved and where we ended up, who's in our core for single entry, and who are some outliers uh, for GPPs. Then we'll kick it over to the other guy. You'll get their opinion. We'll get lost way too much and and run long because that's what Mark and I do. Uh, But we're going to give you all that information. Then around 8.50 each week, we are going to do a, a new segment of uh, returning to the podcast this year as a regular contributor will be Lex Moralia. If you haven't noticed, uh, you're not doing it right with one week season. Lex is got all these great bullet points. And what I like to do when I read the NFL edge is I like to look at Lex's bullet points before I read JM's thoughts so that I, I feel like it kind of gives me a baseline of information. And then I read JM's uh, uh, thoughts on how the, 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 the contests and the games might go. And, and I find that that's working really well for me. Then at about nine ten uh, each week, we will either have JM on to uh to 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 on the pod he's uh his son is a little older and he said he's going to make an effort to get here more often 
but we will also uh, at that point be a little more free for all. If JM's not there, I definitely will take some questions. I will always try and get to some of your questions. Uh, I'm up, up in the air about taking phone calls this year, but we'll see how that goes. And, uh, but you can get your questions in on Twitter every week. Uh, when I put up the link to the podcast, I, I didn't do it early this week, but I will in the future. I'll give you guys, um, you know, like 24 hours to put up questions. So those are some of the changes that we've got. Week one, NFL, I couldn't be more excited. Um, I'd also like to get Zandemir on at 9:10 a couple times if he's willing. Maybe talk about the Sunday night slate. Um, I, I, I really am excited after doing that podcast. If you haven't checked it out, uh, definitely check out my podcast with Zandemir. He, he absolutely crushed it, and I am converted. I am really excited for showdowns. I think there are some nice edges there. And we'll try and get to some of that as we go. Uh, but this is week one. So, Mark, welcome back to the show, buddy. All right. I, I don't know why Blog Talk's doing that, but it closes his mic when the show starts. Never used to do that. Let's see. Oh, Mark. I'm here. <laughs> It, it, you know, it, it never did that, but Blog Talk now, the last couple pods I did, whenever uh, the show goes live, even if I had your mic live, it, it, it kills it. So, uh, Mark, tell us what's going on in the high-low life. Oh, man. Uh, besides uh, moving cross-country, getting out of the Navy, finding a new job, everything's great. It uh, sounds... No, but, uh, uh, it's been good. <laughs> and then I've got I, I've gotten divorced. And my wife, uh, ex moved out three days ago. Um, you know, it's, uh, it's really a crazy time, uh, between COVID and divorce and everything, but I'm hoping to get that post-divorce bump with a nice win. Um, let's start with the quarterback position this week, Mark, as we always like to do, um, start with who was in your bottom up build and, uh, who is your single entry and any other key thoughts you have at the quarterback position? Yeah, for sure. Uh, started the week kind of honing in on that uh, Raiders-Panthers game. Uh, so naturally, Mr. Teddy Bridgewater hyped himself. Uh, I had Bridgewater locked and loaded for my bottom-up build. Um, I'll still probably have one of three Bridgewater for uh, three max, uh, but there's some nice options down there below 6K this week. I really like uh, Bridge, we talked about. I really like um, Minshew. I think has a greater than ownership chance of having a really nice game there with Indy's kind of defensive philosophies being so heavily rooted in communication in that heavy zone. Uh, so I think there could be uh, some blow up potential there, especially with the kind of athletic freaks that they've added this offseason. Um, and then I actually really am kind of along the line of thinking with JM where Mitch Trubisky could have a really nice game down at 5,400. Yeah, I, I, I don't disagree. I, uh, I started the week where I ended the week with Tyrod Taylor. I, I think that he's got a great rushing floor. You've got a team that is just not, it's just not a good defense, the Bengals. And I know Mike Pouncey's out, but I'm not concerned about that because um, 
Geno Atkins is out. So I feel like that kind of is a wash. And, uh, you know, you guys, you know, I, I don't do the deep dives that you, you and JM do. I'm here to give the, the, the five to six hour a week guy, you know, a sense of things. Uh, but Tyrod to me, you know, I love quarterbacks who run. Um, and I, I, I just, you know, he ended up staying in my single entry team right now. And, um, my second owned quarterback, guess who it is? I bet you can't guess. Let's see here. I'm going to take a off the wall guess. Uh, Philip Rivers. Who, who did I play almost every week last year? Oh yeah. Well, there you go. Kyler Murray. <laughs> my second owned uh, quarterback is Kyler Murray. And then um, what I'm doing is I really like my core so I've got about 64% of my uh, lineups between Taylor and Murray, uh, about two to one. Uh, number three is Cam Newton. And then what I'm doing is I'm taking a bunch of different stacks. You know, week one, you just don't know, but I'm building around my core. Uh, so I normally don't have so many quarterbacks, but, I thought, you know, I really like my core. What what if the, the, the difference, because we've got a $5 millimaker, what if the difference is the stack that goes with my my core? So I've got, a, you know, 3% Russ, 3% uh, Lamar, 3% Matt Ryan, 3% Josh Allen. Uh, let's see here. Uh, about 3% Carson Wentz. I got one lineup with Rodgers, one with Stafford, and I've got about three, uh, and then Minshew and Garoppolo, um, and even a Baker Mayfield. So it, it's a different way to do it. Uh, but again, it's I'm not trying to make a stand with these quarterbacks, but what I'm basically doing there, Mark, is I'm saying if I got everything else right, and the only thing I missed was my quarterback and uh, my third receiver. Well, let me, uh, you know, and then I do run it back uh, with one guy from the other team. I think you should almost always, not single entry necessarily, but in any GPP, you know, you know, like the Millie Maker where there's 200,000 entries, I think you should always bring it back, almost always. Uh, so, what's your thoughts on that strategy? Yeah, it's. Uh kind of goes into how JM approached it when he was, you know, in his new writings this off season, his new course, uh, how the fact that the, the industry is pretty much catching up um, with the stack mentality. You know, when you stack, you're increasing your variance in an already one game sample size of super high variance. So it's actually a better way to make things less have to go right, obviously for you to get a higher end score um, what the, you know, what he kind of talked about in the course is the fact that, and if you haven't checked it out, go check out Jan's course while I'm talking about it. Uh, it's amazing. Uh, also what he, you know, what he kind of alludes to in, in the course, I'm not going to spoil a lot of it, but, um, with the industry kind of catching up, the new hotness is to, you know, bring it back as a way to decrease the already high variance associated with a, a one week season, so to speak. So if 
one side of the game is going off, it goes to reason that there is going to be increased volume at the bare minimum on the other side of the game, uh, specifically for pass catchers. So leveraging that idea and a quarterback uh, with one of his pass catchers and then bringing it back with somebody from the other side is a good way to balance out the variance associated with without sacrificing kind of that floor and ceiling mindset. So totally agree with it. I also want to note, dude, you didn't mention any ownership on the three quarterbacks I listed. So that's pretty cool. Which three again, did you mention? <laughs> I'm just giving you shit, man. Uh, Bridgewater, uh, Minshew and uh, Trubisky. Well, I'm, I'm going to add some Teddy because uh, he was very close to my thoughts early and then I kind of got down the running quarterback uh, mentality. Uh, I've de- I have Minshew. Um, and who is okay. the uh, – oh, and I've got Trubisky too. So uh, I've got – but I guess what I was asking is what do you think about my uh, – in other words, I feel really good about a, a small core of players this week. Mm-hmm. You know, six, seven running backs, um, six to ten wide receivers – three or four tight ends, only a couple defenses. So my, my, my thought process was if I'm right with that, with these groupings, and I think, you know, week one is as a best ball guy, week one is where all the guys I've been pounding for best ball, you know, that's my advantage early in the early, you know, the fact that I drafted all year. So, yeah. I guess what I'm saying is, what do you think about my theory of, you know, normally I'll have four or five quarterbacks and, you know, I want to have leverage. I talk all the time about having leverage. Well, this time what I'm doing is, other than my two main guys, I don't care about leverage or having more than the field. I, what I'm doing is I'm taking that tight core that I like and giving other quarterbacks a chance to help me win a million dollars. Yeah, I totally agree with that. It's a demi-rifle approach. And the reason why I think it's the probably highest EV model to, to go by for week one is just like OWS members have seen all over the site, I think every person who has put out an article or a podcast or something this week on OWS has mentioned the fact that we're going to see for, for 2020 week one, it is going to be unlike any other NFL season and any other week in the in that NFL season. The closest comp that we've seen is 2011 with the increased pass volume following the holdout. But we really – there's going to be so many miscommunication issues on defense. There's going to be troubles tackling. There's going to be all kinds of breakdowns and teams fighting to find their identity with the shortened preseason as a whole. No, Obviously, there were no preseason games. We had no rookie camp OTAs shortened preseason camp into a four-week window. It's just it's really going to be a lot of errors kind of on both sides of the ball. So there's two ways to approach that. One is to leverage that the unknowns and the variance that's going to be associated with broken plays probably at a higher rate than historical norms. And the other is to fall back kind of into your comfort zone and approach it like any other week. And I think uh, we've hammered this pretty extensively this week to try and embrace that variance this week, you know, find those, those guys that, you know, have the higher expected a dots or the higher expected yards after catch uh, who can 
make these splash plays and vault you up the leaderboard rather quickly. So I really yeah. like that. Find your core, find that rifle approach, find the core, and then start sprinkling in those those high upside plays. Yeah, it's like after you shoot somebody with a with a with a rifle, you take your shotgun and just really make them feel a lot of pain. <laughs> yeah, um, there you go. Uh, you know, you, 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 you st- when they're down, you stand back about 20 feet and hit them with the shotgun. Um, <laughs> so, you know, I, I definitely missed out on Teddy. So I'm going to put some Teddy in. Uh, you know, that is that's that's a no brainer for me. Um, you got me on Teddy for season long in a big way. And I, I thank you for that. Um, he's one of my most owned quarterbacks overall. So. And we'll get to why I, it was really dumb that I didn't have any in a little bit. Uh, but the, uh, before we get to the running back position, I, w- I want to talk a little game theory with the game theory expert. Um, I feel like I've come up with a pretty damn good edge, and it's based off of what something that you just said a little bit ago about you know COVID, no tackling, and, 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 and it leads into what I'm going to talk about at the running back position and who – uh, the three guys who were in my um, my single entry team, um, all three of them are rated one, two, and three at the, the what I'm about to talk about. So I've been on mm-hmm. Austin Eckler all week, and my thought process on Eckler is it gives me a stack with Tyrod, but it's a really unusual stack. But it doesn't matter to me because Eckler has that ability, that game-breaking ability, right? So he gets 10, you know, if he is what he was billed to be in the second-round guy in, against a bad defense week one, um, but he's elusive as hell. And my thought process is, and, and this is what I think is the biggest edge to pound this week, is elusiveness at the running back position and the wide receiver position when you can. We saw uh, Aikens make people miss. Uh, We saw uh, CEH make some people miss. I really think that without any live tackling, running backs especially who are good at juking and making people miss is the gateway to big plays this week. Your thoughts on that? Yeah, hundred percent, man. Like with with the secondary and particularly with respect to wide receivers, it's it's more of a communication, I think, as opposed to tackling where it's gonna be that first and second level, you know, the defensive line and the linebackers, uh, with respect to running backs. But yeah, these these are professional athletes, but that doesn't mean that they are completely immune to not practicing at full speed and live reps. And we saw a couple of places where camps where that kind of was taken a little bit too far, where they were going full speed and they were full on tackling. Hello, Jalen Regor injury. Uh, but yeah, these, these are human beings and they, it takes a lot to get your body used to hitting somebody at full speed, wrapping up properly, you know, using the right uh, technique and it, it's it's going to be unlike anything really that we've we've seen in a long time this week. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, my original uh, bottom up build had Carryon Johnson and Austin Eckler at running back. I was not on uh, Antonio Gibson. 
to me, that's too thin uh, for a single entry team, especially with ownership. Um, it, the way it evolved, it evolved from two players into three. I'm not scared off a of carry on. I just think there's better plays. Um, I, yeah. I just don't for think sure. he has the upside that, uh, you know, that, you know, people, I heard people talking this week, Mark, about how, it, you know, there's not a lot of value. And this was even pre Boston Scott. I thought there was plenty of value this week and plenty of great options, but only if you were willing to concede that you couldn't afford Christian McCaffrey and Mike Thomas. If you, if you could concede that to yourself, I thought there was plenty of uh, money. And um, so, all right, let me give you the name of my three. It's Alvin Kamara, Josh Jacobs, and Austin Eckler. One, two, and three in pro football focused elusiveness rating. Um, I was there even before I thought of that. The one guy who got real close to breaking into my core was Dalvin Cook. I think he's a fabulous play, but he's, you know, 700 more than Kamara. And that's where it does get a little tight. Um, I could make it work. I could go up to Cook and and go down on uh, one wide receiver that I'm going to talk about, who is definitely the third on my pecking order. Um, Other running backs that I like, I mean, Boston Scott's my most owned running back. But, you know, I feel like Boston Scott, you either either have to go right at where you think, you know, right at or slightly under where you think he's going to be. The offensive line is still a problem there. So I've got 32 percent Boston Scott, a guy that uh, two guys that I'm way over on that are low ownership plays. Uh, One is very elusive, and that's Kenyon Drake. Uh, Shouldn't be a surprise to anyone. I'm playing Cardinals. And Todd Gurley, uh, you know, 6,100, very low ownership. Atlanta, you know, Atlanta, yeah, they get that. The Brian Hill will probably play a little, but I think Todd Gurley is a very good play. I'm mixing in some other running backs. Let me see. Did I miss anyone on my core? I gave you Cook. You know, anyone else is just a sprinkle. Uh, those are my core uh, running backs. Your thoughts on mine, and then give me yours. Yeah, so uh, pretty much nailed it with the game theory thought there. Um, and what I try to teach in my game theory course, I'll throw a quick plug here. The game theory course written by myself over on the Marketplace, go check it out, uh, talks a lot about you know the mix of game theory and DFS general theory and roster construction. So go check that out if you haven't yet. First five courses are free, and I think the rest of it is only 29 bucks. so super high value there. Uh, but with game theory in mind, uh, one of the things that I talk about in the course is the fact of, or the, the practice of, I'll say, of looking at your roster as a whole and playing around with what playing – one player, you know, like if, if, if we think about Christian McCaffrey, the highest price player on the slate, that is likely to do to the rest of the roster of people who are going to play Christian McCaffrey. So now you're not thinking of leverage in a sense of player X versus player Y. You're thinking of leverage in a sense of what is the field likeliest to do if they play Christian McCaffrey. And one of the, you know, one of the glaring early week 
uh, values, perceived values, I'll call it, uh, was Antonio Gibson, like you alluded to. I was off him, you know, from the beginning, and I knew early week that it would allow players to play Christian McCaffrey, and Christian McCaffrey is going to carry ownership on his own. So how do we leverage that without just looking to pivot off of Christian McCaffrey? And one of the ways to do that is just pay up at running back because now, especially now with Antonio Gibson and Boston Scott, you know, two values at, what is it, 4,400 and 4,800, you're, you, you have to pretty much assume going into a 4, play that a vast majority. Yeah, so there you go. So a vast majority of the rosters that play Christian McCaffrey in these big fields or single entry and three max are likely going to be paired with one of Antonio Gibson or uh, Boston Scott, just because the, per- the perception is you, you don't want to limit yourself at other positions. Well, if we know that going into the slate, we can have a good idea of, you know, how do we leverage that without making suboptimal plays uh, as opposed to just, you know, making a one-for-one swap, which a lot of people just would contrarian, you know, how do I be contrarian? Well, if you think about it, the roster as a whole, and you kind of meld those ideas and figure out early on in the week, you know, Monday, Tuesday, that, oh, my God, like, if there's if, if there's going to be 30% Christian McCaffrey, I guarantee over 50% of those are going to pair him with one of these cheaper running backs. So how do I leverage that and make a unique roster while still playing my favorite play on the slate, Christian McCaffrey? Well, just, you know, you can pay up at two or even three uh, with the flex position running backs, and now your roster is going to be differentiated without making suboptimal plays. So really like that idea. little game theory nugget uh, for the listeners real quick. Really like McCaffrey. Really like Dalvin Cook. Um, Dalvin Cook is actually probably my favorite play, and uh, a play that I highlighted in the article, the game theory article this week, because, you know, we knew kind of going in that McCaffrey and Jacobs at 10K and then 6,800 were going to carry ownership. And I really thought that Dalvin might have been a, a piece that was going to go pretty overlooked for this week. So I really like his matchup. You know, Green Bay struggled so bad last year with runs both up the gut and to the edge. And they did literally nothing this offseason to address that uh, in the first and second level. So really like Dalvin Cook. Um, I would call Dalvin Cook uh, a Josh Jacobs plus in the sense that we can confidently project, you know, 20 to 22 touches. But with Dalvin, we know that there's going to be three to five targets in there most likely, whereas Josh Jacobs is a little bit more guesswork. Um, So I really like those two plays. Really, uh, I really do like Josh Jacobs. And I think – I think JM, you're going to hear him come on a little bit, but he's doing everything he can to talk me off of him, I think. But I still really like Josh Jacobs. Um, the only thing not to like, in my opinion, JM about doesn't Josh Jacobs, like Josh Jacobs. I, I think I don't want to thunder, but uh, but I, I think um, I think he'll be underweight on Josh Jacobs this week. Um, but uh, I, I, I think I, like I think his heavy ownership is. I think his heavy heavy ownership is going to, you know, I think this Boston Scott thing is going to dramatically drop Josh Jacobs' ownership. Uh, you know, I let me get to okay. So one real quick, real, real quick detour. I always like to tell people where I get my information, other than OWS. I obviously use OWS. Read everything on the site. Um, in the past, I've just used Daily Roto. 
they lost uh, three really good guys, um, and two of them ended up uh, on Establish the Run. And I, I feel like Establish the Run now is almost something you can't avoid between Pat Thorman stuff and the OLDL stuff and the um, the pace. And the, there's just so much good stuff there. And, and you also get a different set of ownership projections with ETR. Um, you get uh, Adam Levitan. So I, 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 you know, I, and I need an optimizer. So I did get, do daily Roto. I really didn't want two um, subs besides OWS, but um, daily Roto this year is for me, it's, it's, it's an, it, you know, cause I want to play more uh, showdown. It's for optimizer. So I wanted to throw that in for everyone. Go ahead, Mark, go back to running back. Yeah. So the, the reasons that I like Josh Jacobs in a vacuum this week are I think different than the reasons that we've seen all off season. I don't expect his passing game volume to increase dramatically this year. You know, we've seen talking about season long real quick. We've seen him late first, early second, kind of on the, you know, on the reg. Uh, he was going there and I thought he was being heavily overdrafted compared to the guys, especially priced around him. I, I think a little bit less has to go right for him in a matchup with the Panthers than say an Austin Eckler uh, at 200 more than him, or, you know, uh, Joe Mixon at a hundred dollars less, um, which I guess Joe Mixon in a vacuum, strictly looking at projected ownership is a solid pivot. If you're utilizing MME mindset but for me, I'm just trying to differentiate my roster as a whole at other places. And one of my favorite ways to do that is pay up for CMC plus Dalvin Cook plus Josh Jacobs uh, and kind of eat the ownership on Jacobs, knowing that there's likely not going to be a lot of rosters out there in the field that are paying up times three at running back. I've got two ways that I'm differentiating and uh... – uh, I will go over them as we go. Who uh, who else do you like at running back this week? And and what are you doing with Boston Scott? Uh, are you only playing like, three? Are you only playing three lineups again? Yeah, dude, I'm only playing three lineups. Uh, it might stretch to four. We'll see. I don't know if I'll have enough time. No, I'm just kidding. Oh man, uh, big yeah, spender. I, yeah, right. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm, I am going to be targeting the the uh, I forget the name of the tournament. Hold on, uh, the power sweep. Uh, the three max uh, with 100k yep. up top. Uh, that was what I was targeting heavily last year, and uh, my goal was to take it down, doubling down on that guy, uh, trying to take it down this year. So, uh, all right, let's go to let's, be, yeah. Just give me one or two more names that almost made the cut, and then we got to move on to wide receiver. <laughs> yeah, you got it. Um, I will. I sorry, I'm gonna cut in real quick and talk about one guy that I think um, you're gonna see a lot of scramble on. Uh, at the wire here, and that's Raheem Mostert. Um, if Arizona and San Francisco plays on schedule uh, or as per scheduled uh, in San Francisco, it's likely, in my opinion, that Tevin Coleman sits out because of the air quality and his sickle cell trait. Um, that was there are some reports uh, surfacing earlier today and then as the day progresses that Tevin Coleman did in fact miss practice uh, on Thursday, I believe, uh, because of the air quality and how poor it was with all the fires are, uh, that are surrounding that uh, 
uh, the Bay Area. So if Tevin Coleman does miss, I think Muster is a pretty solid floor plus ceiling play at only 5,800. Um, and I think you're going to see a lot of scramble if news does pop uh, trying to fit Monster in. But if you have that information now and you're able to build around it, you can probably uh, leverage uh, against the field there. Um, and then Boston I Scott thoughts. Mentioned... I, I, I need yep. Boston Scott thoughts before we move on. You got on. it. I've gone back and forth with Boston Scott. Obviously, that uh, news was late uh, today. Um, but I think his floor and ceiling with respect to his expected pass game work with Miles Sanders out um, is enough to vault him into a viable play. At only 4,800, you're really looking at, uh, you know, 20 points for a GPP-worthy multiplier there. So I think that's a high likelihood, even with the uh, banged-up front uh, in Philly and the vastly improved uh, front five of uh, Washington, I think he's a, a viable play at 4,800. I will probably only put him on one of three of my lineups, and I would look to be uh, maybe underweight just for a game three leverage for MME. I literally have him at 32%, so uh, that's one of three, um, even though I'm doing a lot more lineups. So, all right, take us through your, um, your bottom-up build wide receivers and where you're at now. Yep, bottom-up build started the week uh, basically with volume. Uh, so I started with Jameson Crowder at 5,200, Terry McLaurin at 5,600, and Deshaun Jackson at 4,900. Um, and those, the latter two, McLaurin and Jackson, I'd expect to be heavy chalk this week. Um, so especially with D-Jacks, I mean, it's probably – I haven't – I'm going to caveat all this with I have not looked at ownership percentages yet. So, uh, but I'd expect Terry McLaurin and Deshaun Jackson uh, to be heavily owned, but that's where I started. I've got Adam. I've got Adams here. Adam Levitans. Hold on. Uh, Wide receiver. He's, uh, he's got uh, McLaurin at uh, 21 to 25. He's got Deshaun at 17 to 20. And who was the third one? Uh, Jameson Crowder. Crowder's not on the first page, not on the second page, not on the third page, uh, not on the fourth page. Wow. So, yeah, not not a lot of Jamison Crowder. Let me look. Hold on. Maybe I missed him. Uh, zero to one percent, he's saying. Okay. He's That's a good for you. This week. Well, I, he he's not in my end of week. This is. Okay. Uh, my bottom up at the beginning of yep. the week. Yep. This is kind of where I was, but uh, he's a floor play. And if you are making that play, I would look for leverage spots to increase the ceiling from the rest of your plays. So who is in your, uh, your tight builds? So I am embracing the variance this week. So I'm uh, at, and the, the places I'm doing that, obviously, if I said I like paying up times three uh, at running back, the place I'm doing that is at wide receiver. Hold on real quick. My son just walked in. Come on, dude. Okay. We're, we're um, a family-run so... business. <laughs> I should have locked the door. My bad. I actually have an office now where I can hide away instead of in my car this year, so that's cool. Yeah, that I always felt bad for you. <laughs> uh, so now um, I'm 
like I said, embracing a little bit more variance. Um, I really like um, Anthony Miller at 5,000, uh, and I think he's a high leverage that that game, the Chicago-Detroit game, has a lot higher chance than ownership is going to dictate of hitting the over. Um, I really like with the in- injury to Kenny Galladay, I really actually like both Marvin Hall and Quintez Cephas because I think one of them is going to have some volume for this game uh, because I think likely a scenario, it's going to have to be Detroit that opens that game up. If it is going to hit one of those uh, JM termed tributary game scripts. Uh, I like at the higher end Devontae Adams at 7,300. I think he is probably the, he's the most fifth. owned player according to Adam Levitin. Okay. Uh, well, that's good to know. Um, but he's probably the safest uh, from a, price versus range of outcomes perspective. So floor you, you, you don't need seven guys who are contrarian. If you have one or two contrarian guys in with some chalk, you know, people tend to be chalk for a reason. Uh, I think Devonte Adams is really good chalk and he's only yeah. 26 to 30%. So, you know, I don't think we're going to see him go, you know, with so many good values at wide receiver, I don't think we're going to see a 40% wide receiver in in most tournaments. Maybe in single entry, you'll see uh, Adams get close. Uh, but um, go ahead, finish up. Yeah. So uh, now getting into kind of those embracing the variance plays. Uh, now we're talking 4,400 and below. I really like LaVisca Chenault. Uh, at 4,400, because I like Minshew and I think that Indy could have some communication errors on the defensive side of the ball, I really like the trio of higher snap rate projected uh, wide receivers in Chenault, DJ Chark, and uh, Conley. And Conley's at 4,000. He's another one that uh, I'll be using. And I'll I'll likely in three mats, I'll likely have one of those three on each roster just because – the floors are so hard to project, but the ceilings for all three are, are tantalizing in a point-per-dollar perspective. Um, and then I really do like Marvin Hall and Quintez Cephas at 3,900 and 3,300, respectively. And Cephas, his, I think his snap rate is going to depend a little bit more on Danny Amendola's status. Uh, Amendola's basically had a full week of limited practice, so uh, it might come down to a game-time decision. But I, I would expect Cephas to play more of a, a slot or a possession receiver type role as opposed to Marvin Hall, who is more of a speedster on the outside. All right. Um, My, and then, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, we got we to gotta move on. We're, 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 we're going to run way past if oh, we don't. So much to talk about. I know. Uh, <laughs> it, is, it, is it a need to say or a nice to say? No, it's a nice to say. Proceed. Okay. All right, so let me go with my need to say. Um, my bottom-up build at the wide receiver position was um, and now it was Paris Campbell at 3,900, Terry McLaurin at 5,600, uh, Deshaun Jackson at 4,900, and DJ Moore at 6,600. Now, you might say that there were better ones out there, but to me, I just love DJ Moore, and I'm shocked a little bit that he is not um, going to be more owned than he is. He's going to be my most owned wide receiver. 
Uh, Terry McLaurin is going to be my second highest uh, owned wide receiver. And the guy who uh, I've got a two V two that I'm still, I'm leaning the way that it is now, which is Josh Jacobs and Calvin Ridley at wide receiver. Um, But I, you know, there's, I've made other lineups with Dalvin Cook and um, Marquise Brown. Uh, And if I wanted to get less uh, chalky and uh, put a little better floor on it, I could switch out Christian Kirk for uh, Marquise Brown. So Christian Kirk, I'm on a lot this week. Um, You know, I I really think if that Niner game plays, I hope they move it. Um, I I, I think that that is – that that's a game that could really blow up. And Kyler has such low ownership this week. Um, I think it's a, a stellar deal. Uh, so, uh, but DJ Moore is how I'm differentiating. So he's, he's a double winner for me. He is leverage off of uh, Christian McCaffrey as well as because he is 6,600, he's got low ownership. So he, I just think that he has, you know, Las Vegas is, you know, I just think this is going to be a high scoring game. And I think DJ Moore is, uh, you know, again, a guy that I've drafted a lot of in season long and best ball. And I think that he's a hundred catch guy this year. And I think he's going to be an $8,000 uh, wide receiver before we, we turn around too long. Other wide receivers that I have, uh, you know, right outside uh, the the core is Odell Beckham. I think he's too cheap. I know he's had issues, but uh, he could be a slate winner. Um, You know, I've got, uh, let's see, some Stefan Diggs, some uh, DJ Shark. Uh, But my, those three wide receivers and Christian Kirk, and um, Brown, I'm down around 10% on, uh, but you know, I mix in some other guys, but that, when I say a tight core that, oh, and I have 13% Marvin Jones. I, I think you have to at least have a decent amount of Marvin Jones. Um, I know that it could be Hall or Cephas, but uh, Marvin Jones is my guy. Uh, any thoughts on my wide receivers before we move on to tight end? No, I like it real quick. I know we have, we're pressed on time, but I love the fact that you talked about pairing your quarterback with a pass catching running back. That's an area that not a lot of people are going to be utilizing in their builds. Uh, For me, that's Teddy Bridgewater and Christian McCaffrey. And what that actually does is it raises your floor without sacrificing ceiling. If you know uh, going in that they are a pass catching running back and they have a higher expected target share for that week. So really like that play and I'm doing it with Teddy B and McCaffrey. Yeah. I, I just like Ty, uh, Tyrod and Eckler's uh, floor. You know, I mean, those two are 12,000 something where um, Christian McCaffrey alone is 10,000. I get it. And you, you know, look, a lot of times last year you were right and I wasn't, but what I really like about my team to this point is you know, I've got a ton of floor and a ton of ceiling in one, you know, and that's always my goal for single entry. So um, mm-hmm. let's move on to tight end. Um, you know, obviously Kittle is going to get a lot of ownership. I think a lot of people are going to use that Boston Scott money to get up to, to Kittle. 
Um, you know, one thing, you know, talk about game theory, and this is something, you know, for best ball also, is it's not that I don't like Kittle and I don't like Ertz. I think they're both fabulous plays this week. I do have some of each of them. Uh, but Kittle's going to be 17 to 20, Ertz 13 to 16, Mark Andrews 13 to 16, and Herndon 9 to 12. Um, my bottom-up build started with Chris Herndon. Um, I'm not going to tell you until after you're, you do tight end. Um, I, I'm torn between two guys in my uh, at my tight end spot that are a little cheaper than Herndon, and um, you know I, I. But I think I'm going to hear that you're going to tell me Chris Herndon is your tight end. Uh, he was my tight end for the bottom up build. Uh, I started the week with the pairing of um, Chris Herndon um, and I started with uh, Jameson Crowder. By the way. And oh, then I nice. and then you talked me into Herndon for the bottom up build. But go ahead. Yep. Uh, so I started with the pairing uh, basically just on the full volume expected to run through both Jameson Crowder and Chris Herndon. Um, I've since gotten off that side of the ball completely. Uh, so I'm not, I don't think I'll be playing any jets this week at all. Um, I had, I heard some rumors that Herndon was projected to be high owned. Uh, so really, really nice pivot for all of our subscribers here, uh, to Logan Thomas, uh, at only 2,800 in Washington. And that's, again, I think Philly and Washington is one of those games where it probably has a higher than ownership chance of, blowing up and I think the ownership that is going to come from that game is going to be focused on Terry McLaurin and then the Philly side of the ball and what we have with McLaurin you know hype is off the charts for season long and that's going to carry over into DFS but now we have a shadow matchup coming with Darius Slay who's a new addition uh, to that defense and we have a Schwartz defense so it's it's a little thin for me at 5,600 to actually pay for Terry McLaurin. So Logan Thomas is just probably one of the beneficiaries of that shadow matchup. Um, in addition to uh, Sims, who I think is a little thin from a ceiling perspective, but is a nice floor play this week. So I really like Logan Thomas at only 2,800 where I can, I'll look, be looking to play Zach Ertz. Uh, and that is a volume play, but realize that he is basically needs that volume and paint to pay off. He's really not a yard after catch guy, like probably towards the end of the league. Uh, so uh, might be a little expensive at 5,800. Uh, and I actually really like Hayden Hurst at 4,300 as well. Yeah, um, that's not a bad one. Uh, I'm counting on Calvin Ridley being the guy. I, I think that, again, back to my elusive thing, <clears throat> I feel like Ridley has just elite speed out of the slot. And um, when he makes a cut and goes, it's very hard to keep up with him. And I think, again, with uh, the lack of tackling and the lack of preparation, um, I think he's going to give people trouble. All right. So you ready for a good laugh? So one of my two tight ends actually should you shouldn't laugh at. Um, he is a guy that um, us season long guys, us best ball guys, were were pretty high on. He's got a lot of talent. Stephon Diggs is gone. You wanna you wanna go off of Herndon's ownership, Irv Smith at thirty one hundred. 
Um, the other guy I'm considering for my main build, and I know, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know, but this guy is going to have zero ownership, um, and it's Jordan Reed. And, they, you know, you're hearing a lot of good things out of him on camp. Yeah, he could get a concussion at any time, but there's only – four or five tight ends in the league who can get you 30 points or who have in an NFL game gotten you 30 points. And Jordan Reed's one of them and he's $3,000 and he's in the late game. And um, as much as I like Kittle, Kittle is still valued for his blocking. Um, I, you know, you don't need a lot for Jordan Reed. You don't need him to go nutso. Um, but I'm definitely going to have him in some GPP. I know he's thin for a main build, but um, I, I've got so much floor and ceiling built into this team. I, I think that Jordan Reed is the guy who, if he gets 20 points somehow, uh, he's the guy who can win me a GPP. And if you remember when I said I've got a guy who I think I can differentiate with, I think Irv Smith would do the same thing. Um but uh, those are my two guys, and go ahead and kill them. <laughs> um, it would be a the thing that would kill them would be an expected volume, and so you're you're basically just banking on an unknown snap rate. Like we we think and we we think we know that Minnesota is going to play heightened twelve, which I agree with. But with uh, with Irv Smith and the game. You know the the game environment that we're expecting in Green Bay and Minnesota. I just think that Green Bay is so easily attacked on the ground that I don't know how many pass attempts uh, Kirk Cousins is even going to have this week. Uh, so that would be my counterpoint on Irv. And for Jordan Reed, I think I think it's pretty thin, being completely honest. And the reason is that um, we really just don't know the type of snap rate and routes that he's going to be able to run behind. I don't even know. Is he listed third on the depth chart right now? I don't care about depth charts. Okay. I've heard, I've heard, uh, I've heard blurbs (laughs) that he, you know, that, uh, that he's looking really good and uh, I get it. You know, look, you know, when they ask you before you get shot, you know, would you like a last cigarette? You you know, um, I I know what I'm doing here. Um, It's just a matter of, um, I don't know, man, my gut's telling me, gut's telling me really, you know, you know, look, for season long, Jordan Reed is a concussion concern. You've got all the wide receivers hurt on the Niners. <clears throat> you might be down Tevin Coleman. Um, you know, all I need is for Jordan Reed to catch two seam passes. <laughs> and, and if one of them is a touchdown and he gets me 15 points at three, at three K, you know, uh, I'm dancing the hula. So, uh, all right, let's move on. Uh, I, 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 I know it's thin. I could still get up to, uh, you know, uh, a couple other guys I really like. I like Hawkinson. I think he's a lot more likely to be the the, the guy. 
if it's not Marvin Jones. And I got I got them both in a Stafford lineup, and I've got a few Hawks without Marvin Jones. Um, and and then I, I I really like Mike Gesicki. I think Gesicki is a good play too. Um, but if you if you go up to Gis, you know I I just love the savings at tight end uh, this week. And uh, yeah, for sure. All right, all right. Uh, let, let's see. I don't I don't love too many defenses. Uh, who do you I'm like, Mark? I'm the same, man. Uh, usually I have a pretty good time of narrowing down my defenses. Um, I looked – I'll take you through my my process. I was looking pretty hard at uh, the Ravens as well as uh, Minnesota uh, with the talent that they've added on the defensive side of the ball. But then Daniil Hunter uh, is hurt and out. And, you know, really the, the adjusted sack rate is kind of my default uh, – or the net adjusted sack rate of the matchup is kind of my default because pressure creates turnovers, turnovers create points uh, for defenses. So that kind of eliminated both the Ravens uh, and the Vikings for me. And really my early week build, I was on the chargers. And then of course, of course, Derwin James gets hurt. uh, And that kind of threw a wrench in that, but I still do really like the chargers at 2,800. You know, they have, uh, an elite pass rush uh, who's probably going to get, uh, you know, and playing against uh, a rookie quarterback in his first start. Um, so pretty, and they actually, they added some depth depth to that secondary this off season. So um, the loss of Derwin James, I think is going to hit a little less hard. It's still a huge hit, but it's going to hit a little less hard than it would have last year. Um, and then all the way down at the bare minimum, I still do like Washington football team, uh, defense for this week uh, with the they they legitimately have a top three off, uh, defensive line this year and with the injuries to Philly uh, obviously you have the two offensive linemen and I'd expect Philadelphia to run heavy 12 personnel this game um, to keep Goddard on the field because he is such a, a really a good blocker you know he's a he's a kittle light uh, he can do a little bit of everything and do it really well um, so but that paired with his injury uh, to his hairline fracture to his thumb, I think what they're going to do is run heavy 12 personnel sets and keep Goddard in to help that offensive line, specifically the strong side um, where they're really hurting uh, of that offensive line. So, um, but even with that, I'd expect uh, Washington, you know, who was top five in the league in sacks last year and who added probably the best pass rusher out of this draft uh, to get some pressure on uh, Wentz and, and make him make some quick decisions. So I'd expect a good floor of three to four sacks. Uh, and from there, you know, at a bare minimum price, you're not looking for much more. Well, yeah. And you named two of my three defenses. Um, I think, you know, with Washington, it's a salary play. Uh, I mean, I don't love it at ownership, but, you know, defensive ownership never really gets more than like 15%. Um mm-hmm. I think the Chargers is my second favorite. Um, but if I'm paying up, I'm going to pay up for the Patriots. I know they're, they've lost some people and, you know, it's a lot to ask to, to, to have what happened last year, but Bill Belichick has a way of making Ryan Fitzpatrick turn the ball over and Fitz in general is a, you know, pick six machine. If you get, if you get that game where Ryan Fitzpatrick throws two pick sixes, um, so that's my third defense. Yep. Don't hate it at all. All right. Um, uh, we got a question, Mark. Um, 
And, you know, I think I'm the one who has to answer it more because you are such a tight lineup guy. Um, but we got a question from one of our favorite uh, listeners, and I, I can't look back right now. Let me let me see if I can look back right now, see who it was. All things pigskin. Um, he he asked about how big the core is. You know how how many people do you want in the core? And I honestly, uh, pigskin, I don't think about stuff like that. I, like I used to. I used to think well, I only want so many of these guys for an optimizer and so many of those guys. But now that I've been focusing more on, uh, you know, just making good lineups, I'm more interested in just making good lineups, right? So this week where there's, a, you know, five or six really guys that I like at, a, at running, and it really is based off of running back and wide receiver, you know, I've got, so now I want as many combinations with those guys as I can get but I'm mixing in the quarterbacks to differentiate and give me a different chance. You know, when, when salaries get tighter, it, you know, one of two things can happen. Either I'll feel like I've got the guys that I want. And even though it's a thin week, I've got one lineup that I really like. And my core is, is, is that, and I'll mix in a few GPP guys. Or if I'm struggling to, to, to land on my single entry, then I will expand and, and have uh, a wider core. Not that I love the people in those lineups, but the fact that um, the fact uh, the dearth of finding what I'm looking for makes me look further. So I wouldn't spend too much time thinking about how many people to put in your core. I think read the NFL edge, read all the content on the site, go find some good uh, projections with a value and see what the numbers are saying are a good value, compare them and decide who you like that week. That's the key to this whole thing. It's not about formulas. It's about finding what you like and playing it and leveraging it with the game theory you know, Mark's article and things of that nature. Mark, uh, your thoughts on that question? Yeah, uh, I mean, I'd, I'd echo what, what you put out. All right. Well, in that case, let's move on to our new segment. <clears throat> Unfortunately, Lex Moralia couldn't make it this week. So the Lex is more segment is um, me reading what Lex sent me. And we'll get some thoughts from uh, Mark on these. I'll read them, and then you give me 30 seconds on each one. So, Devontae Adams. Zimmer's D has sacked Rodgers at least four times in seven of 12 matchups dating back to 2009. Um, And there's two other stats about how Rodgers has just not been good against um, Green Bay. After averaging just seven targets, In the first three weeks, Adams averaged 11.6 targets for the rest of the season. The only 2020 Minnesota quarterback cornerback to meet PFF's snap parameters in 2019 was Mike Hughes coming in at PFF's 78th rated cornerback. So it sounds like what Lex is saying here, Mark, is that uh, he likes Adams, but he. I, 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 if I was to interpret this, I would say he likes Adams, but don't feel like you have to pair him with Rodgers. 
Yeah, I kind of get that same feel. Uh, I don't know if I'll play Rodgers at all this year. <laughs> so, yeah, I completely agree with that. Well, he's not as accurate as he used to be. So I get to use a pun I always wanted to use, which is he's not Aaron Rodgers anymore. He's Errant Rodgers. Uh, oh, but, I like uh, that. <clears throat> thank you. I'm, uh, I, I'm, I'm known <laughs> for my puns. Adam Thielen. With Thielen healthy, Diggs gone, and Kubiak at the helm, Thielen is in position to see a bump in targets and dominate usage in a Kubiak offense that has produced an average of 157 targets a season for its 12 previous 16-game wide receiver ones. Some talented wide receiver ones were able to perform strongly versus Green Bay in 2019, including Robinson twice, Cooper, Galladay, Moore, McLaurin, Lockett, all surpassing 20-plus uh, DK points. You and I did not touch on Adam Thielen at all. Uh, Lex is making some pretty strong cases, though, for uh, maybe putting in a few Adam Thielen lineups. Your thoughts? I just think back to the likely scenario for how that game is going to go in game scripts. And one of the things that I don't think a lot of people are really thinking about is the fact that I'd expect Green Bay to shift their offensive philosophy this year. I think they're really, and they showed that in the draft, they're really going to be looking to lean on that top five offensive line. And, you know, they added uh, Dylan in the draft. I just think that they're going to look to slow games down and uh, really force others uh, to beat them in the fourth quarter, uh, kind of similar to what Seattle's uh, been trying to do over the last five years. Uh, but with that, then we think about how Minnesota is likely to attack, and I think their likeliest way of attacking is on the ground. So that's one of the reasons that I've kind of been struggling with Devontae Adams is a, is a volume thing. And, yes, he's really the you know only NFL-caliber wide receiver on that team, but I think that they're really going to try and keep – both sides of this game are really going to try and keep the ball on the ground to the maximum extent possible. Uh, so I don't know if I'd be utilizing Thielen this week. Uh, that game would really have to open up for Thielen to see uh, the volume necessary for a GPP winning score, I think. The Raiders offense. Carolina allowed the ninth most wide receiver DK points, lost their best corner, and already lost the replacement Eli, not the apple of our eye. First round speedster Henry Ruggs averaged 18 Yards a reception on his 98 receptions in college. Ruggs only ran deep roots 33% of the time. Um, and I've, this is something I've heard Evan Silva pound. Um, you know, he can take it to the house on a screen. Uh, I mean, on a slant. Brian Edwards had the earliest breakout age in the pre- player profiler database with a 94th uh, percentile college dominator rating. Darren Waller finished third amongst tight ends in yards per route run. So it sounds like uh, Lex is more in on the, uh, the Raiders. Uh, I, I, that's one of those ones that I do have a little bit of Brian Edwards. I, I know most people like rugs uh, for DFS. So I'm, I'm, I'm a, a Brian Edwards guy and I don't have any Waller this week. Your thoughts. I like that. Uh, I like that game as a whole, and I wouldn't fault anybody for attacking the pass catchers maybe in a stack uh, with Carr. 
the reason being that I don't think any uh, either one of those head coaches or offensive coordinators are going to ever take their foot off the gas. So I think that is probably the game with the best chance of hitting the over of any other game. Um, so if you want a full game stack that I in a in an MME mindset, I would 100% be behind that. And I think he brings up some great points. Eagles offense, after being sacked 14 times in his first four matchups versus Washington, Wentz has been sacked just three times in the last three matchups. Philadelphia has already lost two linemen, and Lane Johnson is questionable. Washington's D finished 10th in sacks in 2019 and has now added uh, Chase Young. So, um, you know, first he's saying that, you know, Wentz hasn't been sacked that much, but I would say that with the offensive line issues and the defensive strength of Washington, he's leaning that it's a good play. Would you agree? Yeah, I think, uh, I think the big salient point to take away from this is the fact that the likeliest scenario for Philadelphia putting up yardage and points is of the quick hit variety, you know, ball out of the hand quick uh, from Wentz. Uh, and then leaning on yard after catch uh, to do the damage. So one guy that I didn't mention earlier that I do really like this week is is Regor. Uh, I think with you know he Tar- wasn't Targaryen he didn't get a yeah dude heck yeah throwback. Uh, I I don't think that he's going to carry much ownership with the ownership that uh, Deshaun Jackson is going to carry plus the fact that he didn't. He's get a in great a full leverage practice. play. Yeah, plus the fact he didn't get in a full practice until Thursday, uh, but. If you've seen the videos of his speed, good God, man. So if he if they run uh, a stop and go or a slant inside to Regor uh, and he sees five to seven targets, he could, you know, put up a, a 2019 uh, where did that come from score uh, out of out of those those touches. So I really like him. Uh, I think that's the biggest salient point, though. Look for the ball out of the Wentz's hands quick. All right. Um, I'm just going to say that uh, he's on Drew Brees, George Kittle, and Mitch Trubisky, and Mark Andrews also. Uh, We're running a little low on time, and with JM coming on, uh, I think we're going to need a little break, Mark. I know I need a break. Um, I'm going to play a song. You have to go? I do have to to get going, man. All right. But I made it a little bit longer. That's great. And uh, what I'm going to do is I'm going to play a song. I'm going to take care of something necessary, and uh, when I uh, come back, I will call JM, and we will talk to JM. Uh, I am going to – I've never played a song. We used to do this on my radio show back in the day with with Len, Uh, but um, I'm going to play a song, and I'm going to dedicate it to Zandemir's Optimizer, and I'll be back in a few minutes, and we will then call JM.
Try that again. Todd, you there? Hello? hear me now i can all right hold on i I gotta turn off my mic can you still hear me i can yes all right so um i uh i had to call in from my cell phone through the the wonders of block talk radio you couldn't hear me on my mic uh, even though mark and i (laughs) did a whole together how you doing I am doing well, man. I'm getting ready for week one, starting to get excited. Um, I'm going to uh, – what I, I figured we're going to do now is there's been some key news and some other key things that you and I can talk about. Um, if anyone has any questions, you can um, uh, email – I mean, uh, not DM, uh, you know, find the – just hit me on Twitter at Todd from PA, and I'll, I'll get to some questions for JM after I ask a few, my first question is the Miles Sanders being uh, out Boston Scott. What are your thoughts on Boston Scott and um, how, how many of your lineups do you think he's going to make it into? Uh, I don't know yet on lineups. I think I'm going to be at about 22 lineups and I have my pass game exposure pretty well mapped out and running backs will sort of be filled out based on what I need for those rosters and what pricing looks like. But I'm certainly looking at Boston Scott as a staple piece this week on DraftKings. He's only 4,800 and um, we know about his pass catching chops, his pass catching role. I'd be surprised if he fell shy of five catches in this game. And so you add on yardage from there and rushing yards from there and touchdown opportunities from there at 4,800. He's just a really safe play and obviously has a lot of upside. So um, I'll have him with a little bit of Wentz and I'll have him a decent amount, obviously without Wentz. And uh, yeah, certainly one of these, one of these lower priced guys that I'll feel good about. I think that at wide receiver, there are some cheaper guys with a clearer shot at say a 30 point game, but in terms of um, floor plus ceiling, you've got to really like what you get with Boston Scott this week. 
I'm at I'm at thirty two percent ownership on him. I think he's gonna come in somewhere between thirty and forty five percent in big um in tournaments. Um I, I I just you know, basically my feeling is when, when you get a guy like this, you either you know, to get the leverage that I would want, I'd have to be like at sixty five percent. And there's too many other plays that I like this week, both at running back and at wide receiver. Um, what are your thoughts on being, you know, even weight or slightly under the field on him? Well, so for me, and obviously you and I have talked about this, but for me, uh, my thinking doesn't go directly to, I mean, I probably won't end up looking at ownership projections at any point this week. And so it's going to be more about how he fits on to, my rosters as a whole, because I'm going to have rosters that are going to be differentiated from the field. And so uh, as far as, you know, like, let's say I have a Mitchell Trubisky plus Anthony Miller plus Allen Robinson plus Marvin Hall roster. It doesn't matter if I have Boston Scott on there, if Boston Scott's 30% owned or 60% owned, um, you know, because that roster with Boston Scott's going to look so different from other Boston Scott rosters. Uh, But, yeah, I mean, I think that being even weight with the field, if you're wanting to go, you know, like you you talked about, you typically like to go at least double the field if you're going to be, quote, on a guy and getting up to 60% Boston Scott, that that tightens up your rosters quite a bit and basically says that you're thinking of him as a can't-miss play. And so I think that it's totally fine to go even with the field uh, as long as we're looking to build, you know, obviously something that, that Hilo talks about as well, unique rosters, rosters that are going to be, uh, different from what the rest of the field is coming up with. And then, you know, you can mix and match high-owned pieces from there because your roster as a whole is going to look so different. How how has has your thinking evolved any on some of the, the core plays since the player grid? Um, I don't think so, no. it's It's guys who I feel confident in their floor and ceiling and – we'll feel really good about getting those guys in. I'm I'm starting to expand a little bit on this Eagles offense. I'm starting to try to see if there's anything I, anything I can get on this Washington offense and feel good about. I'll probably be narrowing up my exposure to Atlanta and Seattle uh, compared to what I originally thought. But those core plays, those blue chip plays um, – stay pretty much the same for me. It's it's these guys who just stand out from both a floor and ceiling perspective and feel really good about what I can get there. Yeah, I, I found a, a lineup that I really, really like. I feel it's got tons of what you and I always talk about, floor and ceiling. Um, I've got Tyrod as my quarterback in my main lineup. And something that I uh, talked to Mark about, you know, how to handle COVID and the, the weird off season. Um, I kind of built to these three guys and I know you're not on one of them necessarily, uh, but I feel like with the lack of tackling that that's been done, I've got the three highest elusive rating running backs in my main build. And it's Alvin Kamara, Josh Jacobs and Austin Eckler. Um, I'd like your thoughts on um, that thought on, you know, because it, if you're already elusive and able to make people miss, 
I think that's going to be something that's going to be really underrated and people aren't going to be thinking about, but it's something that is going to really allow you, you know, these guys that they're going to have an extra edge. I feel like. Yeah. I think that the, obviously we're, we're getting into guesswork with a lot of things here. And I think that the key is to say, okay, if my guesswork is right, then I'm going to position myself for that. So we go into something assuming we know what will be impacted. I remember reading uh, an article on 538 that was breaking down how the pundits and the public thought that the NBA bubble restart would look and how it ended up looking very different as far as uh, you know, what areas of a team's game were weak and what areas of a team's game were sharp. I think it's, I think it's noteworthy that almost every over-under has actually been dropping this week. And so the general consensus has been tackling is going to be an issue. But, you know, Collinsworth and Michaels were talking during that Thursday night game about how sharp these offenses looked. But really, these offenses looked kind of a half-tick slow compared to the way they normally look. And so you know, we could go into this week with everyone saying, okay, no offseason, you know, defensive communication is going to be an issue, tackling is going to be an issue, and then come out on the other side of Sunday and find that all of these games or most of these games finished below their total. That's kind of what Vegas has started expecting is, uh, you know, these lines have been dropping based on where the money's coming in. So I think that's an interesting angle to play as well. But basically what I'm saying is that, we have to recognize that we're guessing, but when you guess, if you're going to guess on a side, then take a stance on that side. So I think that if you're saying, okay, I think tackling is going to be an issue this week, then going out of your way to get whether it's speedy wide receivers or whether it's elusive running backs, I think that that's a really strong angle to play because you're basically saying, you know, what we've talked about, you want to give yourself fewer things that you have to get right. And so it's kind of a unique angle to play there saying, Hey, the thing I need to get right is that I think tackling is going to be an issue this week. And look, they're all good. All three of those guys you mentioned are good plays, even if that's not the case. And so uh, you get a unique, you get a unique blend there. Yeah. You get that, that unique blend there that other people probably won't have those three guys on a roster together. And also, you know, that kind of puts you having to save some money. And so you get to double dip with, these speedy 5K receivers who would also benefit if tackling is an issue, if defense is an issue. And so I think that that's a sharp approach to say, hey, let me bet on something here. And then you could flip it around and also hedge that by building a couple of rosters that say, what if tackling is not an issue? And what if teams are able to limit deep passing? And how would I want to play things from there? You know, maybe the Jamison Crowders and the Steven Sims get a little bit more valuable than people are expecting because maybe things tilt toward that, that shorter passing this week. And uh, I think that's an interesting way to hedge off of a bet like that is to say, okay, what's the other way that things could play out and how do I account for that as well? Yeah. And with Tyrod, I feel like I've got a nice floor. There's a little correlation with him and Eckler, obviously. And you're right. Um, my three wide receivers are DJ Moore, Calvin Ridley, and uh, Terry McLaurin. And um, so I, I feel like I've just jam-packed um, floor and ceiling into this team, which is what we've always tried to do here. Um, the, the next question I have for you is, 
the other issue that we, we're facing heading into tomorrow is the weather in California and the chance that that um, Cardinal 49er game doesn't go off. Uh, what are your thoughts on that game in general and, and the thoughts on the uh, how to play this uh, weather issue? So the game in general, I think that the over-under is really sharp, which is about 47, 48, uh, higher than you would think, obviously, for that 49ers defense. But both of the games last year played out as higher-scoring games. Both of the games last year, Jimmy Garoppolo put up 30-plus DraftKings points. And so I think that there are angles to play with this game in playing it as a higher-scoring game. I know that Sonic likes this game this week. Cubs fan likes this game this week. I love So for game. me, I'll be, I'll be less heavily on it than some of the other guys because uh, I have a hard time seeing – I have a hard time pinning down where the points are coming from, and I see a lot of craters if you get things wrong. And I also see ways for it to play out where everybody kind of gets close to their value, but nobody blows up. But I think it's a really sharp game to play from a game environment standpoint and to build around. And then I think the uncertainty with the the air quality and the weather brings in additional factors. Uh, and I think that the the – actual way that this would be handled on the, the DraftKings and FanDuel end from a policy standpoint is I believe that if the game gets still played before about the middle of the week, it would actually still count in standings. So I feel like most people are going to just be avoiding this game because you already have the 49ers defense and then you throw in the fact that, you know, we have concerns about the air that there are certainly ways for this to be a, a pivotal game on this slate, a slate winning game for us uh, because it could be high scoring and it could be a game with really low ownership. Yeah. It's a barbo game. Um, you know, we talk about that at times. It's a game that could, you know, go severely under or severely own over. And when we talk about leverage and, and ownership and, you know, you can put 20%, you know, if you put, you know, 15, 20% into game stacking or just some of the key guys in the game, uh, you're going to be over the field. And I like that because of uh, what you just talked about. Uh, the other, uh, the couple, the, the one guy that I really like in this game, and, I, uh, you know, it, I, I understand the risk involved, but Jordan Reed, uh, you know, with them being so um, – just decimated at the wide receiver position and the fact that, you know, ownership's going to go to Kittle and Kittle's still a better, you know, such a good blocker in a season long format. Jordan Reed is, is really dangerous, but if he's healthy and the reports are very positive on him and his, and him and Jimmy Garoppolo been hooking up, uh, I really think that Jordan Reed could be a slate winner. Yeah, I think that's a really sharp call, and it's one of he's one of the guys who I was on. Actually, Sonic and I were talking about this yesterday. Jordan Reed's one of the guys that I was kind of on as I was writing the NFL Edge, and then as I got into roster construction, started moving away from because it does feel disgusting to try to lock in Jordan Reed on a roster because you know it's like the the Dallas Goddard thing. You're you're still taking the number two tight end. You still need them to go a lot of twelve personnel. But if you kind of break down the way this game sets up for San Francisco, 
it's highly likely that they'll have a lot of 12 personnel and it's highly likely as you as you noted that Jordan Reed's going to be you know he's not going to be on the field to be the blocking tight end he's going to be running routes and obviously Kittle's going to be running routes as well but I think that there are a lot of guys tight ends down in this 3k range who have basically a five to seven target projection you could say four to seven target projection and if you get on the guy who gets the seven targets and gets the big play or the touchdown there's a lot of value in that so I know that there's been talk about Logan Thomas there's been talk about Chris Herndon but I think that some of these other guys Jordan Reed Jack Doyle shouldn't be overlooked these are guys that could also end up with the you know six or seven targets and put up a big game in this spot yeah Irv Smith is another one everyone for sure again yeah, I mean, everyone talks about him and drafts him in season long, and, you know, everyone's all on him, but he's going to have a microscopic ownership. And this is where my edge comes in early in the season with doing, you know, 200 best ball drafts, uh, even though I didn't do that many this year. But I did do um, 30 $350 football guys season long drafts. And, you know, Irv Smith, everyone loves Irv Smith, but you know, when it comes to week one, the other guy is uh, uh, Hawkinson's, I think is, you know, with, uh, you know, most people are going to immediately go to either one of the cheap wide receivers or to uh, obviously Marvin Jones, but Hawkinson could be the, the, the winner of the Kenny Galladay isn't playing sweet stakes. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and uh, in that same price range, Hayden Hurst is another one who stands out if, if Seattle does a good job on the on the back end with Dunbar and Jamal Adam, uh, Jamal Adams added to the team, you know you still have Hurts in running those intermediate routes, and so um, yeah, I think that tight end is a spot where look if the chalk guy hits, everybody's going to feel like they were really smart, but there are a lot of guys in this this pretty tight range that could all score in the same general range, and uh, any one of them could end up putting up you know, eight to 10 points than the rest of this, this group. And I think it's important to explore all these guys. Tight end is, is a place what we're Saturday night. It's a place where I'm still kind of, my list is still pretty broad and I still have to figure out how to tighten it down. And I think that that's smart this week to not just lock on to, uh, you know, I, I think a lot of people are locking on to Mark Andrews or locking on to Logan Thomas or locking on to George Kittle but to kind of look beyond those guys and recognize that there's a whole host of players here that have quite a bit of point per dollar upside and, and one or two of them could end up being separators this week. If they get you 22 to 25 points and the rest of these cheap tight ends are getting 10 to 12 points, that can make a huge difference if it ends up being one of these lower owned guys. Yeah. And Jordan Reed really only needs two, two seam passes, right? And, and he brings something that these other the, this kind of athleticism that these other tight ends don't have. Um, and you know you, you you get you get one pass down the seam with Jordan Reed. You know while they're playing the run, and he you know he goes for 35, 40 yards, and then he catches the second one for a touchdown. And yeah, I I, I get it. There's a lot of I love this conversation. I agree. I think the tight end is. Very, very rich this week, and I think that most people are going to focus in on two or three guys, and I think it's uh, an area that you can really differentiate, play your core, 
And, you know, and, and what I'm doing this week, JM, is I'm doing that with quarterback. I, I've got Tyrod in my main lineup. I've got Kyler Murray as my kind of GPP guy. And then what I did was normally I, I, I have four or five quarterbacks. But this week I'm up to like 50, 60 lineups because you've got the $5 millimaker. And what I'm doing is just taking this tight core of five running backs and five to six wide receivers and then just putting in a different quarterback with a stack. Like, you know, I've got some Trubisky. I've got some Teddy Bridgewater. I've got, you know, five or six other guys. And this is something you and I have always talked about is don't let the, you know, don't go into the slate saying how you're going to attack a slate. Let how you're going to attack the slate come from what your research finds. And for me, it's using quarterback where, you know, it's hard to find a quarterback that you really love this week. I know you are locked in on Trubisky, but I think that I've got such a good core. Having 10 or 12 quarterbacks is, you know, but only like 3% on each one with my core is a nice way to try and get a million dollars. Yeah, and I like what you talked about about, the way you're approaching this week. And I like the way that you were, were able to lay it out and define it. And I think that that's something that's so important for users to catch is that it's not necessarily about a certain way you have to put your rosters together, but it's about understanding why you're putting your rosters together a certain way and what that means for you. And so for example, you know, we might not go out and say, hey, week in and week out, you should build around a super tight core, build 50 to 60 lineups around a super tight core. But if you can find a week where you feel really good about a super tight core, you recognize obviously that if you get two or three of those players wrong, most of your rosters are sunk and that's your, that's your week. But if you get your core right and then you're mixing and matching other pieces in from there, all of a sudden – all 50 or 60 of your rosters have a shot at first place and you've eliminated, you know, you've cut down the number of things you need to get right. So instead of needing to get nine things right, if you have four or five core pieces that are hitting everywhere, now you're down to four or five things you have to get right on additional rosters. And there's so much value in that. I mean, that's how Cubs fan won the, the Millie maker a couple of years ago was just going heavy on the, the Seahawks Texans game. And if that game had missed completely, that's his weekend. But when that game hit, he was sitting in first place, second place, fourth place, fifth place in the Millie Maker. You know, all these rosters kind of could have swapped places to get that first place finish because his, quote, core of building around this game hit. And, you know, there are weeks where you just feel really good about what you have, whether it's a game you're building around or a group of core players. And it's totally viable to approach things that way. You just have to understand that that's the way you're approaching things that week and you know what that means for your ROI that look if you miss you're missing hard like being a single entry player all over again but if you hit you've got a bunch of your rosters that are in great shape together that was an outstanding point uh, for the listeners and for the the, the more casual fans that listen to our shows it, it, you can you can lock into a game or you can lock into a group of players. I think that was an uh, outstanding 
uh, helpful tool that all of us should consider as we go forward. I want to get to some of the listener questions. They uh, sent them in, and they've been patient. So uh, the first one is from Do Me Favors, and he's he's a, one of these really great guys who always um, – you know, supports me online. Uh, his question is Gibson versus Boston Scott DK. Uh, JM, I know you tend not to look at things from that kind of perspective, but let's let's give an effort to uh, answer that question. Yeah, I mean, just breaking down role, beat writers are notoriously optimistic about what a player's role will actually be. Uh, beat writers, it's almost as if they think there are 80 to 85 plays per game uh, for their offense when they start talking about volume. And uh, Washington beat writers absolutely love Gibson, and they think that the team loves Gibson, and they're basically projecting 10 to 14 touches per week between carries, catches, you know, jet sweeps, all the different ways that they expect Gibson to be used. So, 10 to 14 touches is basically how you should view him as like an optimistic look. If he gets more than that, great. We can adjust our expectations moving forward. But you should go into week one thing. Here's a, he's 4K. That's great. He has big play upside. That's great. He's super chalky. And uh, you're, you're rostering him for 10 to 14 touches, which isn't great. So can he hit on 10 to 14 touches? Absolutely. But you have to understand all those layers there. Boston Scott Again, cheap, chalky, but we're looking at, you know, probably 18 to 24 touches on the team that's favored and has a better matchup. Um, You know, because of how cheap Washington's defense is, I know that they're starting to be talked up as chalk, and they've got this great front four, but they have – they're really bad on the back seven, and – the Eagles have a good offense, right? We're expecting the Eagles to win this game. We're expecting the Eagles to be leading in this game. And so when you compare the two, Boston Scott has, uh, you know, they have the same ceiling. Boston Scott actually probably has a slightly higher ceiling because uh, just those extra touches can go such a long way if everything's clicking. But uh, both they both have ceiling. Boston Scott has a higher floor just because he's he's going to be used so much more reliably. And, uh, if we get an outlier game and Gibson touches the ball 18 times or if he scores two touchdowns on only 10 touches, that's great. But as far as comparing the two, uh, with Boston Scott, just those extra touches, the, the locked-in role, you lock in so much more certainty with that play. So uh, I certainly lean Boston Scott heavily between the two and not to say that I won't have a little bit of Gibson, but he's not a guy that I'm going out of my way. You know, it, we talk about, volatile plays are the ones that you want to try to stay off of when they're chalk. It sucks when they hit, but if a play is volatile, if he has a big range, when they're chalky, you'd like to stay off of them, all things considered, and say, okay, I'm going to hope that this is the week that they miss. And so Gibson being a chalky play as a rookie in his first game in a new offense with Dwayne Haskins at quarterback and 10 to 14 touches, that's that's volatile, and that's the kind of guy that I'll be significantly underweight against the field this week. Yep. And I I agree with that. Um, And the other thing is, and I know seeing isn't always everything, but we've seen Boston Scott just blow up uh, when given the chance before. Um, You know, when you talk about what you always say about 
you know, limiting the things that you don't know. You know, it's nice. It's nice that everyone's saying such nice things about Gibson, uh, but we know that Boston Scott can get you know thirty points because we've seen him get close to doing it already. Um, right. Yeah, and, and we know that they'll they'll line him up in, at wide receiver. They're going to get him the ball in lots of different ways. There's just a lot to like there. Yep. All right, from Tibor Barani, the Panthers made draft history by becoming the first team to spend each pick on the defense. They also have lost a lot of leadership on the D with no exhibition, communication, less reps, missed tackles, broke plays, um, and caps uh, mating with uh, – Pigeons. No, just kidding. He didn't say that. Uh, should we be targeting targeting Oakland even more? Uh, it's tough to say what even more is. I know that this is a popular game, and I know that these are popular players. I know that uh, Josh Jacobs. There are some in the industry who have gone so far as to call him a free square, which I can't. I can't see at sixty eight hundred and you know an uncertain pass catching role. Three square is a bit intense for me. But, yeah, this is a game that should do well uh, on the scoreboard. Now, uh, and for all the reasons that were laid out there, I mean, it's a super sharp way to look at this game. The, the other way to look at it from just the DFS perspective is, well, let's break down volume. Uh, Derek Carr rarely is going to throw the ball more than 32 times. And so then you start breaking down where those targets are going, and you actually end up with, Waller, Ruggs, Edwards, they're all in the five to seven target range. Um, will those guys have weeks this year where one of them gets 10 or 11 targets or where Carr throws it 38 times for sure? But generally speaking, we have to enter week one saying, okay, I'm expecting five to seven targets for Ruggs, five to seven for Waller, five to seven for Edwards. That makes it very easy to go uh, three catches for 40 yards and no touchdowns, right? Like there are going to be players – on Oakland's offense who fail. And if Jacobs goes for the 30 points that everyone is seemingly expecting him to go for, it's going to be even more difficult for Ruggs, Waller, Edwards, Renfro, for these guys to put up the type of score that could also help you. So I think that this game environment looks awesome. The Raiders' offense should score points. And I think that there will be one or two really strong pieces from the Raiders' offense. But, you know, when we take the overall picture of you know, this is still a team that's going to be leaning on the run. This is still a team that is going to limit pass attempts. This is still a team that spreads the ball out to a lot of different guys. Jalen Richard will be involved in addition to all these pass catchers. You know, it's, it's very easy for individual players to still not benefit in this game. So I'm, I have a strong eye on this game as far as, you know, my rosters will have pieces from this game, but I think we also need to note the, pay attention to the ways that this game could fail. None of these guys are just lock and load pieces because there are certainly ways that, you know, multiple pieces from the Raiders offense could disappoint even at their lower price tags. I agree. And, um, you know, again, for me, this game is, you know, mix other players, but DJ Moore, um, I didn't go into too much of why, but um, he fits perfectly with what Teddy Bridgewater is good at, which is short, accurate passing, um, and he's got great yak, and I, I just think that there's a great floor-ceiling combo with D.J. Moore that you're not going to get in this game with anyone other than Christian McCaffrey. All right, so next question, Robert Dorito, a good friend of Mark Garcia, says, if you're making just one optical 
optimal line, are you paying up for LJ or paying down? Also, is fading DJX in an optimal cash line just getting too cute? It's that's a the second part of that. Let's start there because that's rare that that one's easy to me. It's it's rare that Deshaun Jackson has cash chalk ends well, but there's also the element of okay, yeah, and I don't know how I don't know how chalky he'll be. You know, if he's seventy percent owned, and your style of play is to say, well, let's not overthink things, let's side with the ownership, then he still makes a lot of sense. I mean, I think that. Look, it's not like he's just guaranteed nine or ten targets. He could easily come out and see six to eight targets in this spot. Um, but I think he's a really solid play, and I'll have I'll have some of him in tournaments as well. You know, I'll have lots of pieces of this passing attack and playing it different ways. Um, and then as far as at quarterback, there are different ways to view it, right? So, like, for me, I'm looking at the – Trubisky's 5,400, and in four of the last six Bears games last season, Trubisky and Anthony Miller and Allen Robinson combined for 63 to like 75 points, four out of six games. Combined salary, you need them to hit about 68 points to get you on pace for 200. So in half of their last six games last year, these three kept you on pace for over 200 points and the lions don't have a great pass rush. They don't play a defense that would require Trubisky to read a lot of what's going on. And so I could look at that and say, okay, I'm going to spend under 17 K in salary to lock in these three guys. And feel like I have a high probability chance of staying on pace for 200 points from this block. And you might look at that and say, well, Trubisky is a high risk play. Bears passing attack is a high risk play, but you know, Lamar Jackson could get 20 to 22 points a good, you know, 40% of the time. And if he gets you 22 points at 8K, that's also hurting you. And so, you know, there's, there are different ways to look at the way you're building in that safety there. And my point is just that, is Lamar Jackson a really strong play? Yes. Are you overthinking things if you build, you know, some totally different way that doesn't have Lamar Jackson? Not at all. I think that there's different ways to build in that floor and ceiling across your roster. And you could find it through cam. You could find it through, maybe you feel really good about the Colts passing attack this week. Um, you could find it through playing Trubisky in some sort of pairing that you feel good about that. I think that there's just different ways to go, but uh, Lamar Jackson's always a super strong play in that cash game optimal approach. All right, Justin Rao is asking, is there any upside to Chris Herndon this week? I I think there is. Uh, You, Jam? Yeah, absolutely. I think that Herndon bleeds upside from a talent perspective. Exactly. The the matchup's tough, but he's 3,300, and we know that the Jets are really lacking in perimeter weapons right now, and – Buffalo filters targets toward the middle of the field. So we saw Crowder have two really strong games against Buffalo last year, just on volume and Herndon could certainly fit in there as well. And, you know, six or seven targets for Herndon wouldn't be a shock. And if he catches five for 65 and a touchdown, you're in great shape at 3,300. 
Hatman9298. Defense from JM didn't see on the player grade other than the Jets from the bottom upfield. JM, I I really, you know, I haven't heard much about the Patriots. Um, I've got three defenses, the, the, Red, the Redskins, uh, the Washington football team, the Chargers, and uh, when I go up to pay up, uh, I think the Patriots uh, against Fitzpatrick are a great play. Yeah, I have the Patriots on my list. That actually brings up the fact that I failed to put defenses on the player grid uh, this week. Shows how crazy week one is. So I'll get some defenses thrown on there tonight. But, yeah, my my defense list right now, and I haven't gotten to that point in my builds to know for sure who I'll really have on defense, but my list is – uh, I'm actually going to avoid Washington just because I, I like Wentz a lot, and I think a lot of people will be on Washington. But right there in that same price range is the Jets, who are going to blitz Josh Allen a lot. Uh, and then I have the Chargers. I talked about them in the NFL edge against Burrow. Yep. The Colts That's against fine. Minshew. And then I, I like the, the Ravens, Bills, Patriots, and Philly as teams that you could pay up for. Yeah, I uh, I like uh... – my big three are the Redskins. Um, I'm not going to get too cute. I'm just going to go with it. Um, I think Wentz could crush them and still, you know, throw a pick, make a fumble, sack, strip sack, um, knock, uh, Chargers and, and the Patriots. And I do like the Colts. Uh, I need to try and get a little more of the Colts in. Uh, Board Online um, is asking – Deciding between Godwin and Adams. Right now, ownership has Adams much higher owned. This would be for single entry. I would expect that once ownership updates late tonight or tomorrow morning, that Godwin will be significantly higher than he is right now. Um, I would prefer – I prefer Adams because we're not guessing. Adams, we know that – Rodgers is going to lock on to him. Uh, Adams, we know that a good 80% of the time, 70% of the time, we can bank on double-digit targets. Whereas Godwin, we expect that. We expect that Brady will have a good connection with him. We expect that Brady will be throwing outside to him. We expect that he'll get double-digit looks in this game. But tougher matchup against Marshawn Lattimore. Dennis Allen will probably roll extra coverage toward Godwin with Mike Evans out. We should keep in mind that Evans has really struggled against Lattimore in his career. Uh, And part of that could just be the entire coverage scheme that the Saints are throwing at him. So I think that Godwin has more question marks. And I think that when Sunday actually hits, he'll be as highly owned or higher owned than Devontae Adams. So for me, it would be Devontae Adams. But uh, I, I mean, I think there's a very clear case to be made for Godwin's upside. And it wouldn't be surprising at all if Godwin outscores Adams, but all things considered, you know, if we're playing out this slate a hundred times, Adams is going to be the safer play and he still has just as much upside as Godwin has. Yep. And I'll, I'll add a point to that on uh, ownership because that's something that um, I feel strongly about. Um, don't look at ownership in a one-on-one thing like this. Ownership, you don't need too many – you don't need to be contrarian with every play. I mentioned that earlier. So, to me, I can't answer the question, 
Adams or Godwin because of ownership, because I don't know what the rest of your roster looks like. When you look at my roster, I've got Tyrod Taylor, who's 5 to 8% owned uh, by Adam Levitan. I've got DJ Moore, who's in the same kind of range. And I've got um, either Jordan Reed or Irv Smith who are going to have no ownership. Um, so look at ownership as a whole rather than as a one position. It's very important that you do differentiate your lineups a little bit. But don't feel like you have to make suboptimal plays with your expensive players because of ownership. There are other ways to do it. That, that would be my, uh, my point on that. Um, I think that's it for questions, J.M., and we're, we're running out of time as well. Any last thoughts for the, the good people of OWS? We gave them a free look at the re- revised lineup and there's so many new things. I know you worked your, you know, what off this year to get us everything. Um, and um, I, I think that we're all in a really good spot moving forward to help people win. Uh, any last thoughts on uh, the slate week one life uh, fires? Um, you got <laughs> Yeah, let's get rid of these let's get rid of these fires hanging over the city. It's depressing. Um yeah, no, just I appreciate those those words. I think it's it's been awesome for me to see the new stuff that we've built coming out onto the site and we've talked about, you know, we'll have the new profile page with the edge points uh feature rolling out at the end of the month and we got to get the new marketplace up. I have that in hand and just have to apply everything make that a smoother experience for you guys. But, um, but yeah, you're starting to see all the stuff that we've been working on this off season. And every year that's kind of our goal is to just, you know, keep pushing this, this rocket ship to the next level. So I appreciate all of you being here and everybody who's pitched in. And then as far as this, this weekend, the big thing is I talked about this on the special chat pod that we recorded this week that, if you're a really good season-long player and haven't been able to translate that to DFS, I strongly, strongly encourage you to listen to it. It's on the OWS chat pod page that you can find in the Edge Plus drop-down menu. But, um, but yeah, the uh, I don't actually remember where I was going with that. Oh, the this weekend, um, embrace some uncertainty. You know, we look at that. I talked in that uh, special chat pod about the Thursday night game. Nobody's going to break down that game and say oh, Sammy Watkins is the guy who's going to get all the targets. But games can develop in that way. And so you have to be thinking, as you look at these games, letting go of what's so obvious to you that's going to happen and start challenging yourself of what else could happen. So I used the example of I built some rosters the other night that started with Kirk Cousins and Adam Thielen, and I don't plan to use them. Maybe I'll throw them into the $5 milli, but I didn't build them to use them. I built them to force myself to look at things from different angles. And that's going to be super important if you're chasing first place in a tournament. So think about how you can get to 200 points. That should always be in mind. And think about the places where you can embrace a little uncertainty uh, rather than just assuming that you know everything that's going to happen and get on some of these plays that can pop off for a huge game at, at much lower ownership and that are, you know, right there in plain sight if you just start looking at uh, different ways that some of these games could play out. Awesome stuff as always, JM. Uh, really appreciate you coming on the pod. 
Um, and that's going to do it for the week one Run to Daylight podcast on one week season. Oh, wait, hold on, hold on. We got a phone call jam. We got three minutes. Hey, guys. Am I on? Yeah, you're on. Uh, six, four, six, hey, there you, go. you got a question? Yeah, I definitely do. Um, so my main question is with the 49ers, um, given that they're so banged up at wide receiver, do we expect them to roll out uh, more 12 personnel, which is basically two tight ends on the field? And what would that do for Jordan Reed? Todd, you want to take that one? Well, it's something that I'm counting on. I don't think that they're going to have Jordan Reed on the field for uh, 80% of snaps. But if he's, you know, what I think is going to happen is this. I think the first time they go down the field, I think they're going to go two tight ends from about the four or five-yard line, play fake, and throw the ball to Jordan Reed for a touchdown. And then I think they're going to use Jordan Reed in two tight ends, probably about 30 to 35% of the snaps. And if he gets you four catches, see, what makes Jordan Reed interesting is he isn't the typical tight end who's going to get you, you know, eight or nine yards per catch. Jordan Reed's a guy who can get you 14, 15 yards per catch. So you don't need as many catches from Jordan Reed, uh, both because of his TD upside and because of um, his ability to get further down the field and make big plays. So to me, Jordan Reed is a sneaky um, tight end to play, but know what you're getting into, um, that, it, that it's thinner than guys who um, – who are on the field all the time, like a Chris Herndon, who's only $300 more. Yeah, and I, yeah, I agree. No, I think looking, that – Oh, sorry, Jam. Go ahead. Uh, yeah, I was just going to say, I think that I, I think that he'll – I think that he'll maybe not be on the field for that 70 80% of snaps, but when he's there, it'll be for them to get him out into space and get him some targets. So I think that you can reliably bank on about four or five targets and it's not difficult to see six or seven targets coming his way for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I think that and, makes a uh, lot of sense. I, I, I admire that. I didn't even give out the number and you, call, and you found it and called in. So uh, what's your name? Uh, my name is Nihal. I've been a OWS subscriber for the last two seasons. And, uh, yeah. Uh, super excited to, you know, call in, get a chance to talk to you, JM and uh, use well pod. So appreciate uh, it. Uh, uh, yeah, uh, well, probably next time, you know, with it being week one, I didn't really want to do calls, but next time Jan comes back on, we'll uh, we'll open up the phone lines. This time, it really is going to be the end. Um, I, I want to thank JM. I want to thank um, Lex Moralia for the Lex's More segment. And, of course, my co-host, Mark Garcia, at HiloSF uh, on Twitter. Um, and, uh, you know, I hope all you guys, are up at the top of the leaderboard with JM and I next uh, when we when we talk next week we can uh, we can talk about how good our week one was. Keep grinding. There you go. <laughs> and uh, that's going to do it. We'll talk to you next week. Take care, guys.